be a, a Lottie Moon video in there somewhere. No, all right. Hey, we're in Revelation chapter 2, verses uh, 18 through 29. I got something in my eye and everything's kind of floating around. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to blink. And uh, anyway, if, if you see me doing this a lot, it's because I think there's an eyelash or something that came loose. Um, <clears throat> but uh, anyway, um, get that out of my way. I'm OCD. I can't have anything on here. Uh, anyway, uh, <clears throat> I'll mention a couple of things. One, you should have gotten a ballot for deacon vote, and those are out front. If you did not, if you want to fill it out and place it in the box at the end of the service, that's great. Um, we have three men nominated. They're all three great guys, Don Combs, Jared Seegersma, and Dan Potner, and I'm excited about what God's going to do in that. And <clears throat> as we uh, look here, I want to go and talk for a moment about um, the book of Revelation, because in the book of Revelation, if you remember, the theme is the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign over all things, and, and the book of uh, Revelation reminds us that, that Jesus is on the throne. He has conquered sin and death. He will reign victorious for all of eternity, and in this, he's pulling back the curtain to encourage us, to encourage the churches in, Laia, um, in, in Asia Minor. He is encouraging them with words of comfort, words of encouragement, words of exhortation, and, and he's coming in and he's giving us as well a glimpse of everything that is, everything that's, that, that we don't see that's going on in the spiritual realm. So as we come in and we look at the church in Thyatira, which is Revelation 2, 18 through 29, um, Thyatira is the smallest and least significant of all seven cities as we come in there and in the churches in Revelation. And it's also the one that we have the least amount of <clears throat> information on. And one of the main reasons for that is there's a modern city that's built over it. So they haven't excavated it and you know all the stuff that you find out through archaeology and so forth. And there's just a very small portion of the old city that's available for them to, uh, to look at from historical <clears throat> things. But there are a few things to note about this city. So as we come in and we talk about this city and we come into the scripture here, it'll help us to understand it a little bit better. And one, the god of Thyatira was Apollo, the son of Zeus. So this was, this was their god. This was their patron god. This is a god that um, overall they worship there, these people in this town. And he was often depicted as a warrior god on a horse with a double-edged battle axe. So, you know, if you see this, this god, Apollo, he's, he's like <clears throat> this warrior god. And he's on his horse, and he's got this battle axe with double edges, and he's ready to come in and wreak havoc on everybody and everyone there. And so as you come in there, you, you have that. You also have um, Domitian, the emperor at the time, who named his son, Son of God. So his son is named Son of God, and because he considered himself to be God. And, and so you have this going on, and <laughs> that's pretty bold, I think. But, uh, but anyway, this is what he did. And he had an image of him sitting on the globe, surrounded by the seven stars, or seven stars with the inscription, Son of God, on all the coins in Thyatira. 
So if you pulled a coin out of your pocket there and you looked on the back, you would see this stamped on the back and you would see an image of the son of Domitian who had died. And, and he put this in here and he put these seven stars there and he had son of God inscribed there. So this was also on imperial coinage during the time of Domitian. So throughout the Roman Empire. So not just Thyatira, but everywhere in Thyatira it was common. So Thyatira, um, those are a couple of things about it. It was also known, one of the things that this city is known for that we do know about it, it's known for its many guilds. So there were many trades. And one of the ones that's probably the most prominent we'll talk about in a little bit was bronze. That was where they developed bronze and they had a very, very well known, they were very well known for this. So being a part of one of these many guilds in Thyatira, it was necessary. If you were a businessman, if you were a craftsman, you had to be in a guild. You had to be. If you weren't in a guild, you, you were going to go broke. You were not going to get jobs. You were not going to get work. You were not going to make a paycheck. So this was very <clears throat> important if you wanted to survive economically. So it gives us a brief look at the background of Thyatira. So though the least of the cities, <clears throat> interestingly enough, it gets the longest letter. So <laughs> it's the smallest of them all. We know the least about it, but it gets the most amount of ink. So as we come in and look at it, um, the first thing in verses 18 and 19, we need to remember why we serve. We need to remember why we serve as we come in here. He says, and to the angel of the third church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. <clears throat> so, interestingly enough, in verse 18, as we come in here, he says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God. So he begins by by giving his title, the Son of God. And this is the only place in the entire book of Revelation where the term Son of God is used. The only place in the entire book of Revelation you'll see Jesus referred to as the Son of God is in the letter to Thyatira, which is interesting because Jesus is described as the Son of Man or Son of God frequently in the New Testament, but in the book of Revelation, never, except for in this one letter. And there's a reason for it. It's because he is the one true sovereign God. He is the Son of God, not Zeus, not the son of Domitian or anyone else, not, not some false God. It's Jesus is making it known to those in, in Thyatira that he is the Son of God. He has eyes like a flame of fire that pierce into his de into the depths of our being. So this is who he is. And he's coming in, he says, I've got eyes like the flame of fire, and I can pierce into who you are, into the depth of your soul. And in other words, Jesus sees us as we truly are, inside and out. As, as we come in here, um, today in, in Hebrews 4.13 it says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So as, as we come in and we think about Jesus and we talk about these eyes, what he's saying is, I see everything that's going on in your life right now. The people around you might not know about it, but I know. I see what's in your heart. I know your thoughts. I know your longings. I know your greatest needs. I know every single detail of your life like a book. 
And, and I can dial it up anytime because I have eyes that are like a flame of fire that pierce and go in. And then he goes on and, and he says his feet are like burnished bronze. And, and we come in, you know, you think about burnished bronze. We don't really talk about burnished bronze or brass anymore um, nowadays because we, we have different things, but uh, different <clears throat> metals. But, but coming in, it's something totally different. What he's saying is my feet are totally different from the bronze of Thyatira. It's totally different from what you're making. It's totally different from your guild. It's totally different from everything there. It's, this is one of the major guilds that manufactured bronze for the military. So for the Roman army, the Roman, <clears throat> the Roman military, they got their, their bronze, they got their stuff there from Thyatira and Jesus is saying my feet are something that's far superior I am the true divine warrior I am the one whose power will soon be felt by the church he's saying my feet are something far far different than anything else I can I can trample anywhere I want to go in Daniel 10 6 Jesus is described this way it says his body was like barrel his face was like the appearance of lightning his eyes like flaming torches his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude and in other words as, as we come in Jesus is, is sovereign over all things and he sees all things he sees into the depths of our being, and, and he's saying to them, I know your works. I know what you're doing. I know what you have done. I know how you have served. And he's saying that um, their love has grown. So he's coming in, he says, I know your works, your love and your faith and your service and patience and endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. So he's saying that, that your works are marked by love. Your works are marked by love and faith and service and patient endurance. Now, if you go back and, and, and we go back to the first church, the church at Ephesus, what did it say about them? Man, you, 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 you're, you're loveless. You got no love. Your works, you just do it because you have. You do it because it's the right thing to do, not because you love me, not because you love the people you're serving, but you just do it because you're checking the box. You know all the right stuff, but when it <clears throat> comes to a growing love for Jesus and others, Jesus comes to Thyatira and he says, man, I know, I know your heart. You're good. You're really good here. This is really, really good. This church is engaged. This is a church that's engaged in the needs of one another. They're engaged in the needs in their community. They care about people. They love people. They genuinely want to serve in the name of Christ. I mean, this, this is really, when we come in here, um, he's, he's describing them. And, and he says, you do it with patient endurance. I mean, not only that, you're patient. I don't know about you, but patience, I, I don't think anybody's ever described me as a patient person. Never. But that's what it is. I mean, and, and uh, yeah, I'm patient. I just want things to happen now. You know, I'm patient. But, but he's saying they're patient. They're patient. And, and they're involved. So if you came in and you walked through Thyatira and you asked about the church in Thyatira, people knew them. They knew that these were people who were marked by love. 
They served their neighbors. They served people. They cared about people. They were genuine. They had something in their community that they were known for. In Ephesus, they were known for being able to spout off all the, quote, right stuff. In Thyatira, they were known for living it out in, in love towards others. Now, I'm not saying that they did everything right. We'll get to that in a minute. But, but coming on, this is, this is how they were known. And, and this is how we want to be known as a church. Um, you know, I was, I was talking to Greg Crawford this week, and, and you know, he was talking, he said, you know, I, I, we have to figure out how are we going to be known in our community. Now, how are we going to be known in our community? Because people don't know who we are. We're a small church, and, and, and we, need, we, need to, we need to be a church that, that is known. And I text him back. I said, well, you need to find your Bethlehem, you know. Because if you go around here in our community, and, you, you know, you, I tell people, well, you know, we're well, I'm a pastor at you know, College Heights. And they're going, ah. I'll say, you know, the big white fence out there, or, you know, blue roof, or well, the Christmas thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been to that. So people know us for that. You know, it's a thing that people know. If you, know, if you wonder, you know, where you go to church, well, well, you go to church where they do the Christmas thing. That's coming up um, next month, and, and it's a great, great time, and, and we have great opportunities. And if you haven't signed up yet, talk to Connie, talk to Jennifer. Um, they'll get you signed up to, to serve because there are many opportunities that we have there to serve and, and to do these very things, to um, have works of love, faith, service, and patient in endurance, um, you can check out the buy board and say, you know what, these are things I want to buy to, to help with it or whatever that might be. So that's that's one thing you come in. Our church is also involved in missions. As we come in, um, we're kicking off our, our emphasis for international missions, and that's why I was sitting down there. I thought there was video, which I didn't check to see that there was before the service, so that's on me. But um, but fortunately, everybody has love and patient endurance with me, right? Um, so anyway, you know, we come in and we look at it. But one of the things that we do is, is as we come in, our church is involved in missions locally and globally. And this is the time of year that we focus on the global aspect of it, that Christ came for the world. Jesus was born for the world. God sent his son for the world. And, and that mission offering supports missionaries around the globe. Um, uh, Jeff and Andrea Smith, who are members of our church now, they just came back. They spent, I think, 15 years with the IMB, and they were over in Turkey as, as they served over there um, as international missionaries. Contessa, our secretary, her sister and brother-in-law are missionaries with the IMB. Uh, uh, Lero and Larissa, they've spoken in our church before as they serve over in Europe. Um, in, in, a, in a country that started off with a, a very strong Christian basis and, and now all it has is empty buildings and empty hearts. And, and they're there to share the love of Christ with people, to, to bring them back to Christ. Um, so we have that as, as we do that and that's why we give to this mission offering. Um, and then... We have many people in our community who use our facilities. I mean, they use our we we let people, we let different organizations use our facilities free of charge, free of charge. We don't charge. Um, we uh, we've had we've done many funeral services here for people who they didn't have anything to do with our church. 
They weren't members of our church, people who died. They, I don't know that they'd ever even been in the building before. But we've done that, and, and we've, not only have we done that, you know what? People have showed up and, and cooked food and done things. Why? Love. It's love. It's works of love. That's what Jesus is talking about here. It's showing the love of Christ to people in a great time of need. Um, there are people who use our building for meetings. A group uses our meeting every week. Um, you know, a lot of times people say, well, you know, A group. Um, you know, that's, that's a rough crowd. It is a rough crowd. And, uh, and, and, and you're going to hear some words there that you're not going to hear on Sunday morning. And, and you'll see people that are smoking on the deck and, and some other things. But you know what? We need to be a place that loves people, right? And we love people where they are, as they are, and we share Christ with them so that they can move to be like Jesus. We don't make people like Jesus. Jesus makes people like Jesus. We just live and love and, and do that. And, and so I'm excited about that. And, you know, they talk about a higher, higher power. Well, good. Let them reach out a little bit to that, and then we'll share with them. You know, that higher power is Jesus. It, it's not pie in the sky. It's Jesus with his flaming eyes and feet of burnished bronze. That's, that's, that's where it is. We've had... Um, the schools locally use our building for testing um, to, to do uh, their different things. They've had programs here, competitions, and, and various other things. But um, <clears throat> coming at all of it, it's, these are works. Jesus said, I know your works of love. And, and why I say that is, you know, God's given us a building. We should use it out to his glory. We should wear it out to his glory. We really should. We should wear these facilities out, using them to reach people for the glory of God, because that's why he's given, given them to us. We shouldn't abuse them, we shouldn't neglect them, but we should use them. And as we come in and do that, and, and here's what Paul said in Ephesians 4.15, he said, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So this is the flip side of it all. The pressure that they face... In, in Thyatira is from the marketplace. It's not heretical teaching. Their pressure they're facing is in the marketplace. It's in the community. And their failure is that they're compromising truth for material gain. So this is what's happening. They, they're, they're doing the right things. But they're compromising truth. When Paul says speaking the truth in love, what, what he's saying is there in Ephesians chapter 4.15, Paul was telling the people, you need to be a little more loving. Don't just, don't just lay a bunch of doctrine on them. Also love them and care about them. And, and he's coming and, and pulling both sides of this together. And what Thyatira has done is they've compromised on truth. They've compromised on truth and engaged in the pagan practices of the guilds. So as, as we come in and, and begin to, uh, to look there, and wow, I skipped a whole page. Um, but, uh, but, but we need to know the limits of adapting to contemporary standards and practices. We have to know that. That's in verses 20 to 23 is to know the limits of adapting 
to contemporary standards and practices. In there he says, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless I repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. So we have to know the limits of adapting to contemporary standards and practices. Know the limits to what, what is it that we will engage in, what will we not engage in. And that's the difference between Ephesus and Thyatira. Ephesus emphasized truth and neglected love. Thyatira emphasizes love and neglect truth. So you've got two cities, two churches that are having an approach that is not acceptable to Jesus. Neither approach is acceptable. We have to distinguish between what is acceptable to God in our culture and what's not acceptable to God in our culture. And, and that's where it, it comes down. Um, one way of saying that is, yeah, we have an AA group that meets in our building on Saturday nights. We have one that meets on Tuesday nights as well. And there are a lot of young people in there in their 20s and 30s who are um, in bondage to alcohol. And, and they're trying to stay out of it. And, and we have other things that go on here. But, uh, but as you come in, that, that having a meeting there, that doesn't mean that they're going to come preach on Sunday mornings. There's a difference. There's a difference. It's finding what is the appropriate thing within there, what is acceptable to God in our culture, and what is not. And Jesus was known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He loved people, but he never compromised. He also said, go and sin no more. So you have this, this thing, and that's the speaking truth in love, and this is the pressure that they face is in the marketplace. What am I going to do? Thyatira compromised on truth, and they engaged in the pagan practices of the guilds. This is what they did. So they engaged in the pagan practices of the guilds. So what, what are the guilds? I, maybe the best description of a guild would be similar to a union today. In, in, in some respects, not, not quite, but, but similar. There's a similarity there. And um, if, uh, if you live in a, in a closed shop state or whatever, that you would have to be in that in order to have a job. You would have to be there. In Thyatira, if you're not in a guild, you're sunk. You're, you're, you're not going anywhere. Financially, you are sunk. So what they would do is they would, uh, occasionally they would have a meal. Their guild would share a meal together. And you would be expected as a member of the guild to show up. And in this meal, they would sacrifice an animal to their god, whatever the god of their guild is. And then they would take a portion of that and burn it up. And the rest of it, they would cook and eat. That's what we talked about last week. If you didn't hear that, they were participating in idolatry by doing that. They were participating with demons. Um, and then they would have a cup of wine that they would pour out as a libation and an offering at the beginning and the end. So this is what would go on. So the meal would have this meat that's offered up to their God, served for dinner. And then at the conclusion of it, the, the feast might devolve into carousals where drunkenness and immorality were the norm. 
So they would go on into a whole different set of things that would come in there. So, so now you begin to see, I'm not just a member of the guild. I'm expected to participate in their pagan practices. There's a problem. There's a problem there. Um, <clears throat> how does a Jesus follower participate in, in such things? How can that happen? And, and it, it would be like um, today, if you were invited to have dinner with someone, you go have dinner with them. Well, they don't share your values. They don't share your beliefs. And, and uh, that's fine. You can have dinner with someone. But then all of a sudden things start to pop out and you go, whoa, I can't do this. And, and you would go on. But there to not participate was to financially slit your throat. So you have this prophetess, Jezebel. <clears throat> so they're being led astray by this false prophetess who's teaching them that it's okay to participate in the idolatry of the guild. I mean, it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, you don't really mean it, so just, it's fine. And, and who was Jezebel? We don't really know who this Jezebel is. In the Old Testament, we know who Jezebel is. Jezebel is the daughter of the king of <clears throat> Tyre and Sidon and the wife of King Ahab. She was a worshiper of Baal, and she also supported 850 prophets to Baal. And Baal was a fertility cult, so it fit right in with Thyatira here. And, and she led Israel into idolatry with the blessing of her husband Ahab. So if you want, you know, you want to go and read some exciting um, stories, and, and I encourage, you know, like especially, you know, grade school boys and stuff you want to read some great stuff man just jump into judges there are some great stories in there you know we're talking swords and battles and 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 all kinds of crazy stuff going on and uh and, and so this is what happens in here and one of the greatest stories in the bible regarding the worship um regarding the worship of Baal versus Yahweh is in second kings eighteen twenty one. in second kings eighteen twenty, you have the prophet elijah it's not rained in three years. He is being hunted by Ahab. Finally, he is, he is found, and, and, and he tells the person who finds him, look, go tell Ahab that I'm here. He says, don't do it. You'll disappear again, and he'll kill me. He says, no, I'm, 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 I'm going to show up this time. So he does, and, and he comes in, and he meets all the prophets of Baal on the top of Mount Carmel. It hasn't rained in three years, three years, three-year drought. They're up on top of the hill up on top of the mountain. There's no water. He calls the, the prophets of Baal and he says, look, here's the deal. There's 850 of you. There's one of me. You call on your God, I'll call on my God. And the God who answers by fire, he's God. And so they go around and, and, and they're dancing and they're cutting themselves and, and all kinds of stuff to try to get their God Baal to light their fire on their altar. And he won't do it. You know, because... He's not real. And Elijah, he starts talking smack. He's like, where's your God? What, did he take a nap? I mean, what's wrong? Is he in the bathroom? Did he need to take a potty break? I mean, just, well, where's your God? What's going on? And, and he just keeps on talking smack to him, and they dance wilder and cut themselves and everything else. In the meantime, Elijah repairs the altar to God, digs a trench around it, stacks up the wood, 
cuts up his bull, sticks it on top of, of the wood. Then he tells him, go get, go get water. And he gets barrels of water. That, where they get the water from, who knows? They have to bring the water in, wet the wood. And then Elijah calls on the God of heaven to light the fire. God sends down fire. Not only does it burn up the, the bull, it burns up the wood and it licks the water out of the trench. And then, Elijah, before he does it, he says to the people, he comes near to all the people, and he said in 1821, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So all before all this, Elijah's just saying, look, man, it's time to get off the fence. If it's God, serve God. And if it's Baal, serve Baal. Now, God has lit the fire, burned the bull, licked the water out of the trench, and the prophets of Baal are there. And now he tells them, go kill them all. Kill them all. All 850 of them. And they take off. And you know what happens? There is not a single one of the prophets of Baal left at the end of it. Because I'm just telling you, if you're on top of the mountain out here, if you go climb up Skyline Trail and two people dig, dig and put stuff up and one of them gets soaked up by fire, you're going to follow the one that gets soaked up by fire, aren't you? That's the way it works. And that's what it is because God is real. He is there. He is alive. He is active. He is sovereign. He is powerful. He is mighty. And he is telling us that we have to know the limits of adapting to our contemporary culture and standards and practices. And, and he's coming on. So this is what he's saying. So he does this. And this is the Jezebel in Thyatira. And she's of the same sort. She's of the same sort as this it's Jezebel that Elijah battled with, and she's seducing the people from Jesus into idolatry and things that God never created us for. Jesus said he gave her time to repent. This is interesting as you come in there, and, and um, one of the things that people say, oh God, you know, he is just, he's this harsh killer God and everything, and I can't, I can't serve a God like that who would be so cruel. Here's what he said, I gave her time to repent. I gave her time. I waited on her in the middle of it all. I, I waited on it all. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's patient, but He's also jealous. And he will not tolerate idolatry in his church. This is what he is saying. So his words to Jezebel are sharp. I mean, they are right to the heart of it all. And he searches our mind and our heart, and he rewards us accordingly. This is what it, it comes in. He says, he says, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works so it's interesting he is he said I will give to each of you according to your works in Matthew six twenty four, Jesus put it this way he said no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other he said you can't serve God in money you can't serve God in anything else you, you have to serve God and God alone. And what he's saying is it's time to get off of the fence. Um, another way of putting it is in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the first, the first of the Ten Commandments is you shall have no gods before me. 
I'm the Lord you, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and you shall have no gods before me. Jesus is clearly stating that following him is an either or thing. You follow either me or you follow Jezebel. You follow either me or you follow Baal. You follow either me or you follow whatever it is around you that you want to follow. But you can't follow both. He's making it very clear to these people in here. And we come in and we think, man, this is harsh. It is. It's a hard truth. It's a hard truth. And what he's saying is, he's saying, look, you can't serve the God of your guild. You can't do it. You cannot buy in to that lie. And the thing for us coming in is that we either serve God or we serve the gods of the day. We either serve God today we serve the God of heaven, we serve the God of the word of God, the Bible, or we serve the gods of our world and our culture. And, and how does it look? Well, I mean, it's, it's really simple. What's more important to me? What's the most important thing to me? Is it my business or is it having a vibrant relationship with Jesus? Is it my job, my occupation, or is it Jesus? Whose values are going to drive me? Whose values will drive me? Will it be the spirit of my contemporaries or the spirit of the Lord? Who's going to drive me? It, it may be, um, you know, when they say, you know, you just got to keep the Jesus stuff to yourself. How is that possible? How is it possible to keep Jesus to ourselves? To keep him out of our lives, to keep him out of the way that we interact with others in our culture, to, to keep him out of our ethics in the workplace. Or maybe this, business is business, and sometimes the rules <clears throat> are different. Sometimes we have to do things in business that, you know, you, you can't really do in church. Well, what's the difference? Truth is truth, right? Or maybe, you know, you, you have to balance out that church stuff. You know, you, you got you to have a balance in your life. Uh, what do you do with that? I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no gods before me. No man can serve two masters. He'll love one and hate the other. Balance is overrated. It's way overrated. In other words, we're constantly tempted to live one way on Sunday and another the rest of the week. That's really what it comes down to. What it comes down to is, is that what Jezebel or our culture today wants to do is they want to say, you know what, it's okay for you to be a Christian, it's okay for you to do that stuff on Sunday, but, but you put that in your Sunday silo, and Monday through Saturday, I want you to come into a different one, and I want you to live in the real world. And the book of Revelation is pulling back the curtain, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to show you the real world. And in the real world, it's a raging battle for the hearts and minds of men, women, boys, and girls. 
And I've got eyes like flaming fire and feet like burnished bronze. And it's more fierce than any warrior you'll ever see coming down from the Roman army. You see, this is where it is. So we can't live by our fallen nature. Jesus is saying, that's not going to fly. It's not going to fly. It won't work. All you're going to do is be conflicted. You're going to be impotent. You, you will have no power to change your culture. You'll have no power to change your city. You'll have no power to change your country. You'll have no power to do anything because you are being like them. And Jesus says that won't fly. We can't live by our fallen nature, but we must instead aspire to live as God created and made us to live. So this is where he's coming in here. So we have to remember why we serve. We have to know the limits of adapting to culture, uh, to contemporary standards and practices. And the final thing is we have to stand firm on the promises of God. In verses 24 through 29, we have to stand firm on the promises of God. Now here he says this, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, so he didn't say everybody was doing this. You're saying there's some in Thyatira who are compromising their faith. And now he's saying to the rest of you who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, I say, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. That's interesting, isn't it? He says, look, you're already living out your faith. You already are loving And your faith and your service and your works are, are characterized by love, patient endurance, and service and faith. So I know I'm not putting any other burdens on you. You just keep it up. He says, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For those who are all in for Jesus, he says, just keep on doing what you're doing. It's not easy. It's not going to be easy, but the results are going to be amazing. This is what he's saying. Just keep on, and the results are going to be absolutely amazing. In John 17, 14 through 16, Jesus, the night he's about to go uh, be betrayed and taken to the cross, he says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus prayed. He prayed for those who would follow him. He prayed for the people who would come after him at Thyatira. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for us. And he said, keep them. Not out of the world, not, not take them out of it because we're to be here to be influenced, to be salt and light to the people around us. But instead, he's saying, protect them from evil. Protect them from the schemes of the devil. And, and the church, this church here, it's not facing intense persecution. This, now, this is an interesting thing, too. If we go back, we, uh, <clears throat> we come back to the churches coming back before that, and, and you've got... Uh, you got a church, a couple of them back, that is is um, not Pergamum. That was the last one, but uh, the church in Smyrna. Smyrna is not facing. You know, they're facing intense persecution. Jesus has no words of of um, correction to them, only affirmation, and they are being intensely persecuted. This church, they're not being persecuted. You know why they're not being persecuted? Because they're not doing anything that offends anybody. 
There are a handful of people in there who are staying true to their word, and, and they're suffering for it. But overall, it's, it's not happening. And you know why? It's because they don't look any different than the world around them. They don't look any different than the people around them. Some of them do, and Jesus commends them and makes a promise, and the promise is good for us today. He says that we will reign with him eternally. This is what he's telling these people. He's saying, look, keep it up. The small minority of you here in this church who are following me, you keep it up because you will reign with me eternally. It's a paraphrase of Psalm 2, 8 and 9. God says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. It was the shepherd's rod with an iron ball on the end of it that if anything came to the sheep, he would take this rod with an iron ball on the end of it and smash their heads. You got a wolf coming in to get your sheep? piece of iron on the end of a stick will take care of the problem. I would say so would a 338 Winchester Magnum, but, you know, I digress. Um, anyway, that, that's just the way that it goes. Um, in, in that day, they didn't have a firearm to do that, so they would have their rod with iron on the end of it, and they would whack them on the head and, and beat them to death. Um, this comes from the father to the son to the churches. So this is what he says. He says that um, even as I myself have received authority from my father, and if we go back into the beginning of the book, we see this progression happening. Jesus, the father to the son, to the churches, the Father to the Son to us as we come in and participate in that. And he finishes with promising them the morning star. So as you come in, he says, he will rule them with a rod of iron. He's saying that as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and as you come in and take pots broken, clay pots broken, this is what they would do before they would, you know, this is how they would jack each other, you know, get everybody all jacked up to go into battle. They would take these clay pots and they would write the name of their enemy on there and they would smash the pots. It's pretty good, right? You know, you just come in and, and you take these clay pots and, and you write on there the name of the country you're about to invade and you mash it to pieces. It's like, yeah, we're going to go. We're, you know, everybody's jacked up and ready to go off into battle. Now, whether or not they win or not, that's a whole different thing. But this is what God is saying. I'll smash them like that. This is what's about to happen. And this is what it's going to look like as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is a stark contrast when Jesus is saying, I will give him the morning star. He's not talking about Venus the early star that they would see on the horizon. He's not talking about the Venus of the Roman army that they would put on their shields, the star, to, to show their power that, that um, would depict the invincibility of the Roman army as they came on there. Jesus is saying that I am the one who will reign in victory for all of eternity. So as we come in and we begin to see that, we begin to see these things that he talks about in here again. Once again in the church, you see... In the start, you see the one who has um, the Son of God. He's saying, I am God. It's not, it's not the emperor. It's not his son. It's not Zeus or Apollo. It's me. I am God. 
And then he comes in at the end and he says, and I am the one who is all powerful. It's not the Roman army. I'm the one who will reign in victory for all of eternity. And, and the lesson for us today as, as we come in there, as Jesus said, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches as he speaks to us today. It, it would be very simple is that we need to keep on growing in deeds. Keep on growing in deeds, in faith, in love, in service, in perseverance. Stand firm on the Word of God. Not only do we need to continue doing the good works, and, and I think our church is, is good. I mean, I, I think that, that God would affirm us and say that you are doing things. And, and I think that God would also light a fire under us and say you can do more. You can do more. And I think that he would come in, if he were speaking to us today, he would say, you know what? You're investing. You're investing a lot of energy. You're investing a lot of time. You're investing a lot of resources and things that really don't matter. And you need to bring it back to, get, you need to, bring it back to the center. What is it that is ultimately going to make a difference? What's going to make a difference? And when I talk about making a difference, what's going to bring people to Christ? What's going to help them grow in their faith? What's going to build strong moms and dads so that they can raise up children who are strong in their faith as well? What are those things? Those are the things that he would come in. And, and this is what he is saying to them. He's saying that um, he is going to give them to us. And, and the lesson for us today is simple. Keep on growing as we come in through this entire passage. Keep on growing in our deeds. Keep on doing those things. Stand firm. On God's Word. Stand firm on the Word of God. Stand true to the Word of God. As we do those works and as we do those deeds, don't compromise. Don't compromise. Stand firm and true to the Word of God. Don't compromise the Word of God for anything. And be willing to pay the price. Be willing to pay the price for being faithful to Jesus and His words even when the world around you is saying otherwise. And that's the hard one. You see, it's really easy for us to do the first couple of things, but, but then when it comes down to the final thing, it's being willing to pay the price of not compromising. And this is where Thyatira <clears throat> comes in. You see, their problem wasn't that they didn't know the right things. It wasn't that they didn't do good deeds. It's that they were willing to compromise to get ahead. They were willing to compromise to get ahead or to escape any kind of observation. And <clears throat> I would say that uh, Thyatira is a really really good one for us to look at as a nation because we have a lot of stuff that's circling around that we have to decide am I going to stand firm on God's word or am I going to bow down to the gods of the culture the gods of pleasure the gods of um, <clears throat> changing morals the gods of prosperity the gods of ease or will I 
hold tight and trust as Jesus pulls back the curtain. He says, you know what? I'm on the throne. I know what's happening. I know where you live. I know your address. I know what's going on. I've been there. And here I am today, and I'm offering you an eternal spot beside me, ruling over everything. That's the promise that he gives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you've given to us, for your love and your kindness. Father, we praise you today that you've encouraged us through your word, Lord, that you give us great examples of, of people who have lived in other times, yet they face the very same temptations that we face today. And Father, help us. <clears throat> help us, Lord, to examine everything through your word, to examine our hearts and our minds and our desires. And help us, Lord, to seek after you and desire you more than anything else, to serve you wholeheartedly and to be a people who make a difference here in our community and around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as Amy leads us?